0: You. I was last here about 15 years ago, so a lot of water under the bridge since then. It's good to be back. I never realised when I was last here that I'd actually be living up the road. So as of August, uh, yeah, we live up at the road in Coombe Down next to the Porters. And hopefully some pictures are going to come up on the screen to give a bit of context this morning's message. So I've moved from Burundi to Bath. You can't get a much bigger contrast uh, in that, in that Burundi is the hungriest country in the world. It's uh, about the second poorest. So there you go. If you didn't know where it was, that's where it is. Next one. And uh, so Bojumbra has been my home for two decades. That's a decent stretch, isn't it? And uh, about an hour ago, it's a very important day today, because they just appointed, declared, who's who's going to be the next uh, party leader for the elections. And so presumably the next president, although uh, again, this is going on the internet, so I don't want to say too much on that, but uh, we are involved in very strategic stuff in terms of engaging in that process. So if I was out there this morning, I'd say, <laughs> That's the language out there, nice one. Next one. So that's what sadly the area has been known for. So I, when I went out there in 1998, what were you doing in 1998? It was, it was the most dangerous country in the world, literally. Um, and I know that. My mummy sent me through the newspaper cutting. We were number one. I don't know if she was trying to encourage us or what, but... Uh, And So I lived particularly in those early years expecting to die. I thought I'd never get to the age of 30. I thought I'd never get married and have kids. I'm only saying that to give you context in terms of what it looks like for me to come out to Bath now because I'm coming out to Bath and thinking what am I going to do so I don't become tame and respectable and tone down this gospel and settle for domesticated Jesus. It's very challenging to be passionate for Jesus in Bath. Not impossible but we only will be if we're fully engaged and aware of what the spiritual environment is and that everything is going to suck us down to a level of spiritual mediocrity. And so I need to challenge myself, and I'll talk more about how I'm doing that, but, you know, when you live in a war zone, you can't live like you're at peacetime. And the challenge for us here in Bath is it's just lovely, isn't it? At least on the surface. It's lovely, and we need to recognize that there's a real battle going on. So that's been my context. That was more recently. That was 2015 when it kicked off again. And so we've had five very challenging years. And I lived out, again, by this stage with my wife and kids, and uh, I had to count the cost in terms of potentially paying the, the highest price you can imagine on that one. Next one. Oh yeah, so, so you'll get already from my heartbeat. My heartbeat and my logic or DNA would be how far is too far when Jesus on the cross went that far? And he didn't go that far on, for us on the cross for us just to be nice people in Bath. He went that far for all of us to incarnate kingdom values, which are beautiful and costly. And and he's saying, go all the way for me. Don't be half in. And so... You know, I've just that's outside, if you wanted to grab a book on it, it's Radical Discipleship, Call cool, to No Holds Barred, All In Discipleship. Next one uh, is a, a daily devotional, so you know, again, it can't be rubbish because it was voted Devotional of the Year. So if you want a daily shot in the arm for making good choices, for really choosing well, we're looking, aren't we? Your theme is looking at what kind of people should we be, and this, this morning I want to look, using that, that title, Choose Life, at what choices, fundamental core choices we're going to make in terms of how, how we choose to live life as the people of God. So you can, next one, that's the family. And uh, so yeah, never expected to get married, as I say. And then the Lord blessed me with a lovely lady to share the journey with. And look at my daughter there, because my daughter is named after the next one. And uh, I held that girl in my arms in 1997. I couldn't believe how our, our, our lives would be woven together because um, next one, that's her. And next one, she ends up being our babysitter. But you see, when I held her in my arms and heard her story, what, what happened was that her mum gave birth to her and threw her down a toilet. And so she started her life as a rejected piece of flesh. And the next person going to the toilet, the university hospital, was about to go, and then they saw this. This girl down there in the filth. And they reached down, they pulled her out. And she was still alive because her neck got caught in the U-bend of the toilet. And they, f- they cleaned her off and got poo on themselves in the process and, 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 and fed her through a straw like a little bird weighing just a couple of pounds. And then she's this beautiful young lady. And, and, uh, but when I, when I got married, I said to my wife, if we are ever blessed with a d- daughter, I want to name her after that girl. So the little white one there is named after big black one. They share the same name. And the name is Grace. And I love that name because that's my story, and I hope it's most of our story, that it doesn't matter whether multi-merging rapists pillaging idiots in Central Africa or very self-absorbed people here in Bath. We all need God's grace, don't we? And religion, this is really important. Some of you, not all of us, get this. You know, religion and all the world's religions is basically, it's like higher power whatever but we are down there separated from God and religion is is thinking that metaphorically we could possibly get out of that pit by ourselves you can't get out of that pit there's a separation so no matter how hard you climb there's a massive gap Jesus is not into religion he's completely different he's like I'm going to come down because there's no way you can do this yourself and so he comes down God with flesh on that that we celebrated last month Emmanuel God with us Christmas that's the message and he came down and he picked me up he put me up and he puts each of us who wants to be picked up and he cleans us off and takes up on him so that we can be free and beautiful and acceptable and he can look at you this morning no matter what you've done. And some of us, we've done some horrific stuff and we know it and we feel shame and guilt and condemnation. And he says, I love you. You are so beautiful. You're made in my image. I love you this much. Now, come on, live, choose life. And so that's her name, Grace. I want my daughter to know that she is a gift and everything in life is a gift. And as God wove the tapestry of our lives together, she ends up being our babysitter. And next one, we end up helping her to get a scholarship to America, the promised land, and getting distinction, summa cum laude in her degree, top of the class, from the pit of the toilet. That's the God of the impossible, isn't it? And I will be with Grace next week. I'm flying back out there, so as my life, you know, the coming and going of being engaged still in Burundi, so I'll be with her. She's now working for me in social media. Just Her job is to tell incredible stories stories of what the Lord is is at work doing and she's a beautiful woman of faith and doing great stuff isn't that that's just stunning isn't it next one so yeah that's that's the dream team out there so Four is the man that I've handed the ministry on to who's honestly it's not false humility he's way more capable than me he's a he's a staggering world leader and uh, it's lovely to be able to hand on the ministry to someone that I can genuinely say this is the most amazing man I've ever met so it's stunning what's going on out there next one to so give you an idea of, of, of hunger that it's hard for us to relate to, I talk about us being that most hungry country in the world, 56% malnourishment. Well, this story just fleshes it out. So that cute little blonde-haired girl there, she's my Canadian friend's daughter. She's called Alma. She is four years old. The girl in the middle is four years old. And that is sick and wrong. And that elicits two emotions in me, anger and weeping, compassion which I think the Lord is calling on all of us. Not wrong to be angry, is it? The outworking of anger can be, the manifestation of anger can be wrong, but the Bible doesn't say don't be angry. There's lots of stuff in Bath worth getting angry about. And we are called to be, be angry and don't sin. That's what the Bible says, or in your anger don't sin. We are called to be his hands and his feet and his redemptive agents here. And we do that through tears and engaging rather than hardening our hearts. And as Jackie Pullinger said, you know, a lot of us have got, hard hearts and soft feet when we're meant to have hard feet and soft hearts what does that look like for us here this morning next one okay so this is just before we kick in uh, but uh, each summer for the last 15 years i've been out there 20 20 years for the last 15 years this is what we've done we have sent people out into the streets into the hills for two weeks in the summer so do the math. 15 years times 14 days times an average of 700 evangelists each time, times eight hours a day. That's a lot of intentional outreach. And and during that time, we've seen 170,000 people come to Jesus. It has been mind-blowing, mind-blowing. And uh, with casting out demons and healing the sick and getting beaten up, getting put in prison, everything that you'd read about in the Acts of the Apostles, that Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Next one. So just one story of the multiplicity of stories I could tell you. And there you've got a witch doctor burning his charms, publicly submitting to the highest power. Now, out there... You know, you don't mess with the witch doctor, because if you do, bzz, he'll curse you, and you, your two-year-old will die, or whatever. So people live in fear of him as the highest spiritual power. So our guys show up in this village, and he starts doing his juju stuff, and one of them spoke, Mizina, yesu, in Jesus' name. <laughs> he fell down under the power of God. And he came to a few moments later, said, oh, could you, could you come back in a couple of days? So this is them returning. Two days later, he has assembled the whole village, and at the preaching of the gospel, him burning his charms, submitting to Jesus him, 50 people in that village gave their lives to Christ. That's our Jesus. Again, different culture, different context, but the same Lord of Bath and Burundi. Now listen, when I left Burundi, I got an email from a friend of mine and he said regarding that outreach, he said, what, now you're coming back to England, Simon, why should Burundi have all the fun? Why don't you do this? back in England. And so we're launching it in 20 cities, a similar initiative this coming summer. You can be a part of it. But anyway, you can be part of it in Bath every... every we have d- just started it now, every first Saturday of the month. So if any of you are up for this, next Saturday we'll be doing it on the streets of Bath. We've done it a couple of times so far. I did it last week in London. It's brilliant. People are genuinely open. It's not hard. We give you a tool of how to do it. And anyone can be used to lead someone to Christ. Last month I got to lead Darren to Christ. Beautiful, great opportunity. You can all do that. And, and let's stop being on the back foot in the body of Christ. He's saying, "Come on, let's get on the front foot." It's not shame the gospel. So, next Saturday morning, if you want to be a part of it, you could be a part of it and uh, just come and talk to me afterwards. Or well, actually, um, what I'm going to ask now is that there's a, there's a piece of paper in each row. When I tell those stories, I am still alive because people pray. I've driven along the road once forty people killed. Out there, they're still struggling. It's very difficult. They said, can you get people to pray? So no one has to, but there's a, there's a piece of paper in each row that's going to make its way around now. If you sign up your email, about six times a year, you're going to hear some of these crazy stories, and we can literally be involved in changing the nation. Again, I can't say too much because it's going on the web, but we, some extremely heavy stuff has happened, and we have been involved at a critical juncture in the history of the nation. So that sheet will come. You don't have to sign up. If you do, brilliant. It just means that I now I've got more people praying for us, and uh, you can hear these great stories which will raise your faith. Over here, that's being part of the worldwide body of Christ. Not after your money, you've got your own mission partners, not on a recruiting drive for Burundi. You know, so just, 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 I say that so that you can be disarmed now to hear the challenge from the Scriptures. So if you've got your Bibles, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. That's all context. I think it's going to come up on the screen. And we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 to 20. And I want you to picture yourselves as the people of God. And I am, I am Moses, if you like, God's representative. And I'm relaying God's words to you. That's, that's, that, that's the context of those verses. And do you remember... I mean if you read Exodus, I sometimes, I read the Exodus, uh, the book of Exodus and I think what a bunch of losers, the Israelites. I mean they experienced the power of God, didn't they? They experienced a miraculous deliverance, the ten plagues, the tenth plague, the blood of the lamb on the lintel, prefiguring of Christ and, and then, so they fleeced the Egyptians and then they went through and they were protected by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night and then they the sea parted, and then manna and quail, they got loads of miracles in the mix, and yet so quickly they slipped back into a default as soon as things weren't kushti, of, 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 you know, of complaining, of fear, of apathy, and I'm like, you losers, but then in the same breath I think, that's me, that is me, I'm so fickle, so, so quickly I have a sucker punch I think God's not on his throne anymore, he's not capable of helping me, and can you relate to that? Okay, we're together then, and so Let's hear, that's the context as we look at the Scriptures, and let's go for it. Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven, so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it, nor is it beyond the sea, so you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you, it's in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I've set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction, for I command you today to love the Lord your God, to listen to His voice, and to keep His commands, decrees, and laws, and then you will live and increase in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away from Him and you are not obedient, if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you, this day you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Choose life. If you're taking notes, that's the title. Choose life. And You know, over the years, I've listened to a whole bunch of gun battles and and heavy things going on, and sometimes I've listened. I remember one particular gun battle going on up the road from me and thinking, all those bullets being sprayed. Twenty minutes, of thousands of bullets, and I remember thinking, I wonder how many people are dying right now, and I guesstimated a hundred, which is quite a weird situation to be in, isn't it? But the next morning, I received a tweet of the dead body, and it was one person, it was one body, one Essentially, only one bullet has, had achieved its intended destructive purpose of taking life. All the other bullets had missed their mark. Now, redeeming that analogy somewhat, this, this morning and the time we got together, I'm going I'm to spray a load of bullets at you, and I'm not praying that all of them hit you. Because if they do, we'll be so nuked with challenge, it will just be too much. My prayer, of what I say, I mean, all these points that I'm going to come out with apply to all of us. Okay, but I'm not... You, we, Just think, what, Lord, of these bullets, of these choices I'm being offered up to be the people of God, what sort of people ought you to be? Take one or two on the chin, and uh, let's get out there, and let's do lives that are different. Okay, that's where we're going. That's what I'm shooting for, literally. (laughs) Okay, first one, people of God, is are you going to choose clarity or Trust. Are you going to insist on clarity in your journey? Are you going to be a control freak, which we are all naturally wired to be, wanting your ducks all in a row? Or are you going to accept that life has loads of ambiguity and uncertainty and you're not going to insist on having it all together? Embrace the reality of that. Choose trust. And this is difficult, isn't it? But it's not impossible. Verse 11 says, Now what I'm commanding you today to do is not too difficult for you, but that would imply it was difficult. And It's not beyond your reach, but that would imply it's still quite a stretch. So you're saying this is this is this is this is tough, but you can do it by my grace, Mother Teresa, at her house at the dying Calcutta. She re- received a visitor one day. It was a great ethicist called John Kavanagh, and I don't know whether it was a midlife crisis or sabbatical or whatever, but he came along, and on the first day, as was the custom, you know, she came alongside the newbies, and there he was, and she said, "Hey, I'm Mother Teresa. What's your name? John. Okay, John. Is there anything I can pray for you?" And he was like, yeah, yeah, bring it on. This is, this is what I've, I've travelled 6,000 miles for for the great mother Teresa to prophesy into my life and to speak truth. And he's like, yeah, yeah, please. Can you pray that God gives me clarity for the next chapter of my life? And her indignant response shocked him. She said, no, I will not pray for clarity for you. Clarity is the last thing you're holding onto and you need to let go of. And he's like, what? I mean, you, the great mother Teresa, you look like you've got loads of clarity in your life. She said, I have never had clarity in my life. What I have had is trust. And so I'll pray for you that you trust him. That's the first bullet. That's already all of us nailed, isn't it? Okay, is that the one he wants you to hear? Next one, obedience or disobedience. If you look down verse 14 to 16, it sounds very transactional. But essentially, if we believe that God is a good, loving, heavenly father, it makes sense. So to summarise, if you follow my ways, things are going to go a whole lot better than if you disobey. And actually, disobedience, let's not soft-pedal it. The judgment was horrific, wasn't it? All except two of those listeners did not enter the promised land. Only, Jacob, uh, only Caleb and Joshua. So, so let's not minimise or uh, you know, underplay that the massive consequences of disobedience. And some of you this morning, you are walking in disobedience. I, as a follower of Christ, I have chosen disobedience sometimes. And if we look at the scriptures, a cursory glance will show us that there's a direct correlation between love and obedience. Jesus, three times in John chapter 14, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he or she is the one who loves me. 1 John 5.3, this is love to obey his commands. He's our model. Philippians 2, he learned obedience, even to death, death on the cross. Now listen to this, this quote by theologian Tozer. He said, every time you hear God's word, God's truth, you'll either go in the direction you're called to go, or you'll just wait. And if you wait, you'll find out that the next time you hear that word, that truth, it will not move you quite as much. The next time it will move you less. And the time will come when that truth will not move you at all. Now, I don't know if you can relate to that. I, I, I can totally relate to it. I mean, let me take an example of a number of your students here. I remember being a student. I was at Loughborough University and uh, you know, I was dating this girl and I loved her to, I actually ended up loving her more than Jesus. I mean, she did love Jesus, but I ended up shacking up with her and doing all the stuff that, you know, you know God is not anti-sex. He's a loving father. He's made this incredible gift, but he's given the right context for it. And, you know, my, to God, was basically a hardening of my heart and getting taken out, and eventually I didn't hear what he's saying at all. Oh, I refuse, I hardened my heart. I stepped out of obedience. and If you step out of God's will, you step into nowhere. That's for some of you this morning. And he's saying, get your house in order. And it could be a relationship, and, and so well, the end of my story was masses of damage, pain. Also grace, redemption, but let's not cheapen his grace. And there are consequences to that. And you don't want to go into the marriage, you know, whatever you're doing, if you're dating someone right now, and you're not going to end up married, you are doing that with someone else's future husband or wife. Do you want to do that? God wants a pure bride, he's saying, come on, this is worth it, it's worth it, because it's worth being built to last, and not bringing a whole load of baggage unnecessarily. What does obedience look like? That's costly, isn't it? Obedience, what does it look like in the area of finances, in the area of it taking initiatives with, with people that don't yet know Christ, in, you know, how does that apply? Are we soft peddling the gospel? Are we toning it down? He's saying, stop being ashamed. Be unashamed. You've got a beautiful message. You've got the hope of the world in you as a deposit, and you need to be sharing that. So, you know, time prohibiting, loads of application there. Is God calling you to do something? Are you disobeying through, through passivity, or, or, or are you doing something that you need to stop doing? And every time we move with God, he will guide our steps and he will guide our stops as we just journey with him. That's what he wants, obedience or disobedience. <laughs> Next one. Cynicism or action. Cynicism or action. Again, all these, you Israelites, you know, we were a cynical bunch, weren't we, Israelites? That's, but actually, we Brits were a cynical bunch as well, aren't we? There's so much cynicism with regard to politics, with regards to the church, any institution, actually. And uh, maybe the only group of people that view the world realistically are the cynics and the saints. Everyone else might be living living in some sort of delusional middle ground. Listen, I said cynicism or action, not cynicism or optimism, because the antidote to cynicism is not optimism, it is action. Action that's born out of hope. And I'm so preaching this to myself, it has been so hard to remain hopeful. You can imagine the context I've been living with. So many sucker punches. So, and you know, a lot of us, if you have if you have middle class economic security, you know, which a lot of cynics do, then it's easy for us to just retreat and batten down the hatches and look after ourselves. Things don't need to change for our lot to stay all right. But he's saying, don't be cynical. Choose to act. Get your hands dirty. What does that look like? And the only difference, yeah, between the cynics and the saints is the presence, the power, the possibility of hope. Hope, rooted in a risen Christ, an empty tomb the Holy Spirit in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. These are the scriptural promises. Let's live them out. Cynicism or action. Next one. Urgency or apathy. Urgency or apathy. A big one for us in Bath, that's for sure. And uh, you know, the, we Israelites, we sort of had sporadic bursts of urgency, didn't we? When, when Pharaoh's crack charioteers were up our backsides in the desert, we moved fast, but actually very quickly, we slipped back into this default of languid apathy. And I wonder where this morning you would self-diagnose, self-assess yourself, if you had a scale of passionate urgency, this end of the spectrum, and sort of, you know, languid apathy, this end. Where would you put yourself on that continuum? Now, for me, living in Brunei, it was so much easier to live with a sense of urgency, because Particularly in 1999 to 2003, I lived every weekend expecting to die. Brilliant way to live. Because if you live expecting to die, you're not going to waste your life. You're not going to spend six hours watching a box set in one go, what a waste of time. You're, not going to, you're going to tell everyone that you love them. You're going to keep short accounts. You're going to ask and receive forgiveness. Life's too short. I want to leave with a clean slate. You're going to, tell, you're going to share your faith. When's the last time you shared your faith? I was once uh, preaching on the Congolese border. And uh, the parable of the ten virgins. Remember that one? Those ten girls? They all had a role to play at the wedding. But five just weren't ready. And so the wedding party came. They had to naff off and go and buy some more oil for their lamps. And then they came back. The door had already been shut. There was a celebration. There's a party. That is the kingdom. That's the picture of the kingdom that we started already. And then the late girls arrived. They, Hey, can we come in? And they heard this horrific pronouncement. The kuri I tell you the truth. I don't know you and some of Jesus parables are very nuanced and multifaceted and complex some are not this is a straightforward teaching Jesus this is my point Jesus is coming nobody knows when are you ready that's what that teaching is Jesus is coming nobody knows when are you ready well a whole bunch of them I want to get ready I mean you tend to want to get ready when you when you know you could die anytime so they poured forward as was their custom Uh, but a whole bunch of others maybe you know Towards the back, they're going, No, 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 I'm just, no, no, Jesus is going to cramp my star. I'm going to sow my wild, wild oats a while longer. I'll turn to him if I need him, when I need him, but not now. Whatever the case, two days later, I'm on my motorbike heading back towards that village. And I'm stopped by the, the soldiers, they're a roadblock. And they said, You cannot proceed any further. There's been a rebel attack from the Congo, and those people in that village are getting killed. And it sort of hit me as never before the urgency of our message. Who could have believed? Sat there Sunday morning. Jesus is coming, nobody knows when, are you ready? That two days later, for them, he came. Now, that's not going to happen in Bath, is it? But is there any urgency? Again, that is what is compelling me to get out on the streets. It's because I don't want to be tamed, and it's, I don't want to be on the street, I'll be honest with you. You know, because it's uncomfortable, isn't it? It's like, I have got to do something so I don't settle into this sort of middle class. And I'm not accusing you of that, but that's the danger, isn't it? This sort of safer, tamer version. So what does urgency look like for me on my street? 76 houses on our street. It means every day, and I've missed one day since I've been there. For me, this is not saying you've got to do this. For me, it's getting up 5.30 and praying along that street and every single house speaking life over it. Bless their marriage. May the kids not make bad choices Lord resurrection revival whatever it is every street come on Lord come Lord Get getting to know their names inviting them all around we've had two big dudes we've had 60 folks over it's like what's it, all of them giving them why Christmas why Jesus you know that Nicky Gumbel uh tract whatever so that all of them it's like this is my patch you have all got your patch I'm not going to do it if I don't think they're going to hell is everyone saved did Jesus die as just a picture of love no, he died because he is the only way. Do we? I, do, I hope we're a church that believes that still. Where's the urgency, people? Again, I'm so preaching it to myself. Okay, it's like, come on. There are so many prophecies over the city, but there've been those prophecies for 40 years. And are we going to get stuck in Haran with Abram when he's saying, "Move! I want you to get to Canaan!" And come on appropriate those promises, but they don't come from being in church. It's interesting, isn't it? That when, And that's for, when, we, when I, we're in America and, and uh, we're telling these miracle glory stories, if you like, and in a Q&A, one person said, hey, why is it that there loads of miracles happening the whole time in Africa? And his answer was an interesting corrective. He said, we don't see miracles the whole time in Africa, but we do see them when we get out of the church building. That is a challenge for you as a church. Urgency or apathy, where are you? May this morning... May that just move you along the continuum to a greater sense of urgency. Next one, faith or fear. Faith or fear. My observation is that we are a people in general who are shackled by fear. Fear, financial fear, uh, fear of the future, fear of what the neighbours think, whatever it is, there's so much fear. And he's saying, your birthright is to breathe free from fear, is to live by faith. And again, I mean, I've, I've clearly been tested on this, living in a war zone, because the temptation to live by fear, but actually driving along the most dangerous in the w- roads in the world. One time my colleague leant across and he says, Simon, isn't it exciting? We are immortal until God calls us home. Isn't that right? No one can touch us unless the Lord allows it, and if he allows it, bring it on. We're going to glory. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's the scripture. That's how we're meant to look at our lives. He's in control. He's got big hands. You do not need to be afraid. Take that fear, change it to concern. Concerns are all right, but don't be anxious about anything. But in everything with prayers and petitions, present your request to God with thanksgiving. He's got big hands. Stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. I've got so many stories I want to share with you, but uh, yes. Faith or fear, what does that look like for you? You know, that I, ha- I, I was tested on that in terms of, Lord, does this mean that my wife's going to get raped, the kids are going to be killed? And I haven't got time, but beautiful stories of God's intervention. He says, this is worth everything, people. And if we want to see any real transformation, you've got to embrace the cost. Are you up for it? Faith or fear? That's a whole bunch of us. Next one, gratitude or grumbling? Gratitude or grumbling? Oh, you grumpy Israelite gits. You know, they were so grumpy, weren't they? Constantly complaining. But hey, we Brits, isn't that our national pastime? Moaning. You know We're so good at complaining. We are amongst the most blessed people in the history of humanity, and we complain the whole time. The biggest gift Burundi has given me is the gift of gratitude. I didn't think I'd be alive today. This is, so this is the day the Lord's made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. How am I going to use today? What a gift is today. So this guy came to my house, he had a grenade to, to blow me up. He, he'd written me a letter saying he's going to cut out my eyes. Now, was that a fun experience? No, honestly, it wasn't a fun experience. But it was one of the best experiences of my life. Why? Because for the first time in my life, faced with the imminent loss of these, he said he was going to cut them out. I said, Thank you, God, that I can see. What a gift. It's not a right. Ask a blind person. And we live in an entitlement culture, which is why we're so grumpy. Because when we don't get what we want, it's an affront to my divine right to happiness, fulfillment, purpose, whatever. And so that is literally the biggest gift Barini's given me, the gift of gratitude. And gratitude produces joy. And we need joyful people. And joy can defy circumstances. And... So yeah, I just go through, when I'm tempted to self-pity, I go through all the gifts in my life. I've got a body that mostly works Wow, well and I can, you know, I can see, and I turn these things in my house, and clean, life-giving water comes out. I don't have to walk five miles with a jerry can on my head to get water. The unreached people group that we reached with the gospel, they had a life expectancy of 27 before we met with them. We can all read, and right here, one of our girls in our youth camp, she stood up 15 years old. She confessed to sleeping with a priest to get three quid for her school fees but I don't judge her at all, otherwise she'd still be illiterate in first grade. All oh, you precious sisters, you'd probably have done the same. There's no room to judge. 250 million Christians in this world live, live under oppressive regimes where they, it's a massive cost to say Jesus is Lord. A friend of mine just came out of China. We were walking along together and uh, he was processing with me. He said that, Simon, every day in China, I do something to get myself arrested, i.e. tell someone about Jesus. He said, I've been back four days in England. I haven't done anything arrestable. And his point was was that where he's living in, in the conscious realisation of a war zone, he was living with a sense of urgency, whereas here it's so easy to slip back to that languid apathy. There are bombs falling all over us in Bath or Odd Down or Coombe Down or wherever you've come from. But can you see them? Apathy. Comfort. Materialism. Whatever. They're, they're falling and they're taking us out. Whatever, all those great grace gifts of God in our life, in view of God's mercy, says, get on the altar. I want want your life of surrender. Ingratitude, grace, because he picked me out the toilet. Bring it on. The way of comfort, next one, or the way of the cross? The way of comfort or the way of the cross? Now, we're all wired to naturally want comfort. But what did Jesus say? He said, if you're gonna come after me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. And sometimes, honestly, I ask myself if I'm following Jesus, or am I expecting him to follow me on my terms, at my convenience, me setting the parameters of the relationship. So picture me, 2015, when that, that burning picture there, and I had to go to church when the crisis kicked off because I was, I was the preacher, but we, we had a church of 150 out there, 30 came that morning, and we were a broken body because we knew we were just losing everything. And I'm looking around, there's tears, you know, the, the tweets are pouring in of dead bodies and, and, and it's kicking off, our nation is going to the dogs and uh, and I think of Ephraim, you know, his two, four-year-old daughter, she's now wetting herself. Every time she has gunfire, that's PTSD. Psh, psh. So, you know, that's just one person and then, you know, six mouths to feed, he's lost his job, we built a hotel up there, 53 jobs, 53 families we're providing for, straight away. 30 of those lost their jobs, you know, across the economy, so just a grieving body. And I looked around, I was like, "Geesh!" but you know what, God was so close. And I wrote a blog on the curse of comfort, because it can be a curse to have comfort, because it takes us out. And uh, I reflect on the fact that, you know, my most, my most intimate corporate worship experiences in the West have, have been with the most obviously broken people, like Those battling addictions, teen challenge, going into prisons because they're they're not faking it. They know they've screwed up. And we can fake it sometimes, but you don't need to fake it with God. You could respond this morning and, and just drop the mask and be real. And they're not better than us, and we're not better than them, but what they've got over us is that in their unpolished desperation, God is so real. And He was so real to us out in Burundi in those days, and He still is. And we need Him desperately. We can't survive without Him. And you need to realise that as well. And he wants to draw near to you. And this morning, you might be going through a hell of a time. God is close. And he wants to meet with you. He so wants to come alongside you. He's weeping with you. All right last two okay and these two in a sense underpin all of them and they're all relevant to all of us but with that said um rules or relationship rules or relationship again 14 16 verse looks very transactional do this it'll go well don't do this it'll go badly and and a whole bunch of people in the world they go to church as a box ticking exercise you know maybe that's two and a half billion christians in the world several hundred million go to church and that, that that they think right that's then I'm acceptable. That's religion. Now, that's not a great reason to come. A whole bunch of hundreds of millions more would would say, would articulate their faith as this, and it sounds more sophisticated, but it's wrong. The Old Testament is about law. The New Testament's about grace. The Old Testament's rules. The New Testament is relationship. Uh -uh, It's wrong. It was always relationship. Deuteronomy, a few chapters earlier, chapter nine, says God says to his people, don't think I've chosen you because you're any better. You're not any better. I just want relationship. I love you. So there's this lady, uh, and Tia Times did an article on uh, domestic violence in Burundi. There's this lady, it's horrific, isn't it? Wherever it is, very extreme in our neck of the woods. And this lady was in a horrible marriage. She was beaten up every night of her marriage because what her husband did before going out each day was wrote a long exacting list of things she had to do. And he would come back in the evening, she'd worked her off, and, and tick, tick, tick. Uh-uh. As soon as there was something she hadn't done, he beat her. And she, he beat her every day of their marriage. And I think we can say, praise God, he died. Because she was released from that oppressive yoke. Now, a short time later, she actually mar- mar- met and married a really lovely man who never laid a finger on her inappropriately. Just nurtured her and coaxed her and encouraged her. Released her in her giftings. And a few months into their marriage, she like, I'm going to blitz the house today. He went off to the office from dawn till dusk. She was cleaning away in the house. And then at the end of the day, just before he came back, she was just doing some last bit of stuff behind the sofa. And out pops this... Scrumpled piece of paper, can you, can you imagine what it was? It was one of the old lists from the deceased horrible ex-husband. And tremblingly she opened it up and she started going through it and she ticked, ticked and she, can you guess what happened? She'd done it all. What she had never been able to accomplish, shackled by the fear of impending judgment and condemnation in the appropriate circumstances of loving, endorsement and, and release and encouragement, she'd done it all. Brothers and sisters, some of us, not that extreme, I suspect, but we're we're stuck with the wrong husband, the old husband. Hear that the right way. And God is not like that. He is so not like that. He loves you so much. At the end of that book... uh, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. There's a lovely story of a guy called Steve Brown. He's got his daughter, Robin, it's in the American School of Edu- uh, System of Education. And Robin, 17 years old, doesn't think she can do this English Lit class. It's consuming her, she's not eating, she's not eating, sorry, drink, uh, sleeping at night. And he, loving dad, you do anything for your daughter, right? So he, he took her in to college and got an appointment to see this lovely wise Jewish professor lady. And he's like, listen, can she do something else to fulfill the course requirement? It's ruining her life, please. Can we address this? And the, the wise lady said, look, hang on. Can I just talk to Robin first? Yeah, okay, right. Robin, do you think you could do this course if I, if I give you an A before you even start? Would you do the course then? Oh, baby. Okay, Robin, I am giving you an A up front. You've already got an A. Off you go. So Robin goes out the room. She turns to Steve. She said, listen, I've just taken away the fear. Robin is going to be fine. I know her. Now, the lovely ending to that story is that Robin went on to make straight A's on her own merit. Why am I telling you that? Because of Christ's finished work on the cross, his followers already have an A. The threat of failure, judgment, condemnation has been removed forever. Nothing you do will make your grade any better nothing you do will make your grade any worse by his life through his death his resurrection Christ our substitute has secured for us the everything the aid that we come into this world longing for but we're incapable of securing for ourselves all the pardon the approval the purpose the meaning the significance all that That's already accomplished for us in in Christ. The operative power that makes you a Christian is the same operative power that keeps you a Christian, which is the unconditional, undiluted grace of God in the completed work of Christ. So the banner under which we we live reads, it is finished. Relax and rejoice, you are free. Give me an amen. Amen. And so lastly, (laughs) last one, running out of time, choose life. Verse 19, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I set for you, life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children, and we need to be modeling this in the next generation, not a respectable Jesus, but a radical, risk-taking Jesus, a beautiful Jesus, the real thing. Choose life so that you and your children may live and that they may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice, hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to his fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Last story, life or death, this is the last one. So it's in a village in Africa and the house is burnt down of this family and there's screams and stuff like that. They're all blocked. They can't get out in time. So they all burnt to death. Apart from at the last minute, someone managed to get in the house and pluck out the baby boy of the house. And the next day, around the smoldering embers and the skeleton of that, of that wooden house, uh, the whole community gathered to, to sort of have this, dis- actually what turned out to be a heated discussion as to who would have the right to adopt this boy, because according to the worldview, this boy had baraka, had you know was special because the ancestral spirits had allowed him to survive. And so the witch doctor goes, ah, you know, I can nurture his psychic power, so let me have him. I'll adopt him. I'll nurture him. The, 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 the chief of the village said, uh-uh, I'm the boss. I'm going to have him. The richest man in the village said, No, I've got financial means to actually. Get him the best education. The neighbor said, no, his father had an unpaid, unpaid debt towards me. I'll take the baby boy in lieu of that payment. And then this anybody, nobody, random bloke just stepped forward, but quite authoritatively said, no, the boy is mine. And they're like, who are you? What's your claim? And he didn't have to say much. He just opened his hands and his hands were blistered and burnt and charred and he said, the boy is mine because I saved him. And Jesus' hands this morning, they're not blistered, burnt, charred, but what are they? Pissed. And he this morning says, You are mine because I saved you. I chose death so that you could choose life. Remember that scripture? Curses the man who hangs on a tree. I became a curse for you to be blessed. And so, brothers and sisters, what are you going to choose? What are you going to choose? What's it going to be? <laughs> Which bullet's for you? Two, two questions. Which bullet's for you and what are you going to do about it? I'm sorry, I've gone over. Do you want to come up, guys? Uh, this is a response time, so this is absolutely important. Wait, when you stand up. And please press in, don't check out. Have a quick stretch. You've been sat a long time. Let's have a quick stretch and then we're going to respond. Come, Holy Spirit, right now. You are so welcome to apply your word into our hearts. Father God, I pray that we make good choices. Some of us. Straight away, it's, it's, it's for the first time it's to choose life. You've never really got that religion thing. and This is not religion. Jesus is not about religion. You'd, this, this, this morning, you're getting it that he reaches down and he picks He's already paid the price. I can't earn that love. i just got to live in response, having received and appropriated that promise for myself. If that's you, now's the time. And I think this morning we want to start probably with a whole bunch of repentance, Lord, as we, as we go through those bullets. So Father, forgive me for, for choosing clarity, insisting on clarity when you're saying, just trust me. This morning I want to choose trust. Forgive me, Lord, for where I've walked in disobedience. This morning, in a costly way, I choose obedience. Lord, enough. Forgive me again for my cynicism. Pessimism, negativity. And I choose action this morning. May we as a church, as a people, choose action rooted in hope. Oh God, forgive me for the lack of urgency in my journey with you. And this morning I repent and I'm gonna choose urgency. So move me along that continuum. This morning, Lord, enough. I I want to be broken free of the chains of fear. I choose faith, my birthright, freedom of faith, come on. Forgive me for my grumbling, my complaining, my ingratitude, and this morning, Lord, I'm going to choose to see everything as a gift. I choose gratitude and joy that can even defy the tough stuff I'm going through. Lord, forgive me for where I've crafted myself a more comfortable cross when you're calling to me to something so much deeper than this. I choose the way of Jesus. And Lord, thank you that we can only do that because we've already got an A. Thank you that it's not rules, Lord. Can you clear that one up for all of us? It's not rules, it's relationships. I'm choosing relationships this morning. And thank you that you became cursed, that I could be blessed. You chose death so that I might choose life. And so, Lord, we received those bullets. But which one or two is for me? What do you want me to do about it? Lord, may there be a practical outworking of that. And so come, Holy Spirit, convict right now, ram things home, speak to us clearly. And some of you, you're just going to want to come forward and respond in a very active way. So if you want to do that, we are running out of time, but let's do that. Come forward and receive a blessing. It could be for the first time or the umpteenth time. Come on forward and nail your colours to the mast. God is saying, "Live Church, it's time to ramp things up. As part of the broader body of Christ in Bath, all of us together in unity, but let's ramp things up. So, if you want to respond, you want to touch on the Lord, come forward right now and let's pray. God honors an active response. You don't have to, but it's like, put a mark on the ground. Enough fear, enough ingratitude, enough clarity, enough disobedience, enough cynicism, enough apathy, enough rules, enough death. Come on, Lord. Keep pressing in. Keep pressing in. Come.